podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the I Hate Carol Matchett podcast. No, it's actually Anfield Index. It's AI Scouted. I'm Dave Hendrick and I'm joined by Carol Matchett. And because you've got me up in the middle of the night, I don't care how you are today. Well, that, that's that's not a surprise given you've just berated me for saying good morning before we started. No, um, no, no. It wasn't that you said good morning. It was how fucking chipper you were considering oh, it's the middle of the night. I will lower the tone. I will also point out that, you know, during World Cups and European Championships and the like, we've we've been far <laughs> earlier than this. This is, this is positively lunchtime by those don't, standards. T- don't think I've forgotten. <laughs> don't think I've forgotten that you had me up even earlier during World Cups and European Championships. I don't know why Liverpool v West Ham would get any different treatment whatsoever then. <laughs> Liverpool versus West Ham this weekend. Obviously, Liverpool played last night and beat Lask of Austria 3-1. West Ham also played last night in the Europa League, and they beat M- mighty Baka Topola 3-1. They went 1-0 behind, like us. Uh, Peter St- Petar Stanic with the goal, uh, a Petrovic own goal, a Mohamed Kudus goal, and a late Thomas Suchek goal for the Hammers to give them three points and get their Europa League journey up and running. And Carl, they've had a, a fairly good start to the season, it must be said. They drew 1-1 with Bournemouth on the opening day. A little bit fortunate to get the draw, but they got the draw nonetheless. Then they beat Chelsea 3-1 and looked really, really impressive, including playing the last 25, 30 minutes of the game with 10 men. They beat Brighton 3-1 in what's one of the most surprising results of the Premier League season so far. They beat Luton 2-1. And then they lost 3-1 to Manchester City, but they gave City a scare going 1-0 up and then were overwhelmed in the second half. I think if you'd offered West Ham and their fans and their manager and their players 10 points from those five games, I think they would have gladly taken them before the season. 100%, especially considering how they started last season. Um, I don't know how many games it took them to get to 10 points last season, but it certainly would have been more than five. They were down at the bottom three for quite a while last season. They were... Well, almost using Europe as a bit of a respite during the weeks because at the weekends things were were not good for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, they've hit the ground running. I think some very very easy switches were made this season by Moyes in terms of the the regular team, the regular lineup, which you know should have been made earlier if we're being brutally honest. But mm. I have made them immediately a better team. I mean, taking out Fabianski, putting in Ariola, an absolute no brainer. It's not entirely coincidental, let's say. Obviously, it's not the only factor 
um, that one was in Europe and one was in the Premier League last year. And those were the two that they did particularly well and particularly poorly in. Um, I think the bringing in Alvarez has been really, really good for them. Um, it's It's been a fine addition to the team, really. And a couple of other little switches, let's say. Um, Lucas Paquetas had a bit more of a free role than he did last season. It was it was very, very structured, even when he was nominally the number 10 last year. Mm. This year, he's been in a double pivot. He's been in a 10. He's been floating free from the flank at times. So a few changes definitely made them better. Um, and obviously, when you factor in one or two signings hitting the ground, uh, running and doing pretty well, that, that makes for a very positive all-round atmosphere at the club. It took them nine games last year to get to 10 points. They lost their first three. They got to 10 points after nine games. They had 14 points after 12 games. And they still had 14 points after 17 games, which will tell you just how poor their their first half of the season was last year. After 19 games last year, they had 15 points. So in half the season, they took 15 points. That's relegation form over the first half of the season. And they managed to save themselves over the second half. But like you said, there was a huge contrast between West Ham in the Premier League and West Ham in Europe. Now, part of that obviously is the calibre of opposition you play in the Europa Conference League. I mean, Steubucharest, Silkberg, Anderlecht, Larnica, Ghent, Azad Alkmaar, Fiorentina... Fiorentina were the only team that you really looked at and thought they might beat West Ham. And they probably should have beaten West Ham in that final, but they didn't. West Ham won European silverware last year. And while people can scoff and say it's only the Conference League, in 15, 20 years' time, that success that they had last year is going to look better than it does right now in the immediate aftermath because the competition will have more gravitas, it will have more history, it will have legitimacy. Last year, it was kind of an oddity. It was a little bit weird. People called it weird things. Guy called it the Vanarama, which was was apt. But they went and they won a European competition last year, and that's not to be sniffed at. And they've taken that confidence into this year. And obviously, they sold Declan Rice. They got an incredible price. To get $105 million for Declan Rice is amazing business. They sold Nikola Vlasic. Torino picked up their option to buy on him. They sold Gianluca Schumacher, and he obviously had a disappointing season last year. Injuries. Moy's been so adamant about playing Mikel Antonio. He just never clicked, and he's gone to Atalanta. They also let Manuel Lanzini go. And coming in the door, we have Edson Alvarez, like you mentioned. And they they had a weird summer in that they didn't do anything in terms of incoming until the 10th of August. So the season was upon us, and West Ham weren't bringing anybody in. But then on the 10th of August, they bring in Edson Alvarez. And like you said, he's had an immediate effect. He's been outstanding for them. They signed James Ward-Prowse, and I'm... Obviously not a fan, but he has started the season well. He's got a couple of goals, a couple of assists. I think over the course of the year, he'll get found out in a double pivot like he did last season for Southampton, but he's had a good start. They signed Konstantinos Mavroponis, and I think that's a very good signing. I think he's a really good centre-back, 25 years of age, 
fits into how they play. Now he he'll be a backup because they've got Zuma and Agard, but having him as your third centre back is really, really good. And then Carol, they pulled off, I think, one of the signings of the summer, getting Mohamed Kudus from Ajax. They paid a premium for him, but he's an outstanding player. Um, when him and Paqueta get regular game time together, I think those two could produce absolute magic for this team. Yeah, I can't believe that Kudus has ended up there, to be perfectly honest. Um the deal was there to be done for any number of clubs. And I know that there was, uh, you know, dissatisfaction by some clubs with regards to the agents and some of the terms that they were asking for. But considering the price and the, the fees and the salaries and everything else that we see paid out for extremely average players year after year, summer after summer, people who don't really fit into the team, um, for the price that was paid for Kudus, I just think he's an absolute steal. I think he's an absolute steal for them. And not only does he give them, you know, real technical quality and absolute brilliance on the ball, he's also so versatile that tactically he can fit into whatever team. He's one of the few players that they've signed this summer. I wouldn't say Ward-Prowse is one of them. Um I mean, a few of the in the squad are, are very, very one position, one role. That's it. Kudus, you could replace Moyes with Marcelo Bielsa tomorrow, as, as tactically yeah. different from each other as as two managers on the planet might be, and Kudus would still be able to play somewhere as a first choice starter. He's just yeah. so good in in so many ways um, that this is a signing for now for for the next couple of years and probably for a massive transfer profit in two years, three years, four years, whatever it is that they can hold on to him for. So that is an excellent signing. Alvarez, I think, is. At times, hit and miss, but overall, I think this is a, a pretty good level of team for him. And if you put a decent platform around, then he can protect them and let them do their thing. Uh, so, uh, again, I think very, very good. One signing I didn't actually notice, and I'll be honest, I, don't, I can't even remember who this player is. Um, Andy Irving, he's signed from Austria Klagenfurt and then went back on loan there. I've never heard of this guy, or if I have, I've completely forgotten about him. But yeah. No, my my assumption is that's some sort of money laundering or something that's gone on. Um, a little bit strange. A little bit strange. He's a 23-year-old Scottish midfielder who was at Hearts, went to play in for a, a team in Munich that I've never heard of, who I assume are in the lower divisions. They're in, they're in the regional bar... Bayern, so they're in non-league basically, so he plays there, then he goes to Klagenfurt who are in the Bundesliga in Austria uh, West Ham sign him and then loan him straight back it's a very, very strange deal that I don't really understand uh, there's no logic to that move, it, it seems like maybe Moyes has done a favour for somebody here maybe the club have done a favour but maybe, like I, I don't know Maybe Klagenfurt had some financial issues and they needed a bit of a cash influx. And I, I, I've genuinely no idea. I don't understand the deal at all. But, yeah, it was an odd one. The the players they got, you mentioned Alvarez been a bit hit and miss, and I do agree. Like People linked him to us and people suggested him for us. 
for for us, he would not have been a good signing. Now, he might have been a better signing than Endo, though double the cost. But for West Ham, I do think he's a really good signing. The same as Ibrahim Sanger. I think he's a great signing for Forrest. But that doesn't mean he'd have been a good signing for us and the same goes for Alvarez. I just can't wrap my head around the fact that they got Kudus. I can't wrap my head around the fact that he was still available in late August when everybody knew he was available all summer. I I know Brighton came close to signing him and it fell apart because his agents wanted a buyout clause put into his contract. West Ham have done brilliantly here and you can see the input of Tim Steepten. Like Alvarez, Mavroponis and Kudus are clearly his deals and Ward Prowse is clearly a Moyes deal. And they came obviously very close to signing Harry Maguire as well. And then Maguire decided he wanted to stay at United because West Ham weren't prepared or able to match his wages. Um, I think that's worked out well for West Ham. I, I am curious to see how they will use Kudus because obviously they play a 4-2-3-1. Bowen plays from the right. Paqueta is nominally the 10, though does play left wing sometimes. Where do you see Kudus fitting in? Could he... Because we know that Mikel Antonio is going to miss a chunk of games this season through injury. And we also know he doesn't score many goals. Could they be looking potentially at Kudu's right wing, Jared Bowen up front? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. They could. I wouldn't also be surprised if it was Kudus up front, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think Kudus might get a few more minutes, starting minutes at least, playing through the middle. Whether it, I mean, we've seen him play central midfield before, so he, he can play there, no problem at all. Um, I think he's better used further forward just because he has a, an enormous range of of, um, of attributes in the, in the final third. But he can play as the 10, he can play as a, a 6 or an 8 in a double pivot. But we've also seen him play up front. And I wouldn't be surprised if he got a couple of games there and given Bowen likes to move into that space, Paqueta, if he's a 10, likes to move into that space. Ben Rama, when he plays from wide, likes to move into that space. Or we see Kudus and Ings even dovetailing at times, even though Ings is obviously uh, pretty much a backup. Basically, he's a, a second-choice striker for them. Mm. So I do think that mostly Kudus will get minutes centrally. But there's a bit of a balance now to be had, I think, for Moyes. He he loves he loves keeping his team almost exactly the same all the time. Yeah, He's done that for so long, even at West Ham. Like, but... I think it's quite important now, given the number of options that he has for that front, let's say six, um, to make sure that he does pick well for particular matches. I mean, we saw against Man City, for example, 
understandably, he's gone for Suchek and Alvarez together, and then Ward Prowse as well. So Ward Prowse, you know, nominally the ten if there were forty three one, but off the ball, obviously, it was much more Alvarez uh, between the two lines of four, and Suchek and Ward Prowse just partnering each other, and that's fine for you know for you know very very difficult games or when you're not going to have a, a huge amount of possession, but. In other matches, if you're having Paqueta shifted out to the side, I'd really like to see a proper 10 and not Ward-Prowse pushed forward because, you know, he has to be in the team somewhere like that. I would really like to see them at times be a bit more aggressive with their lineup, be a bit more um, sure of their own capacity, basically, to be an attacking team and maybe go with Paqueta and Kudos in the team and probably Bowen. So whether that's Antonio comes out or it's those three and just two of Alvarez, Suchek and Ward-Prowse get the nod. One of them has to come out some of the time, especially, you know, for certain home games against, let's say, mid-table and below opposition. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I do think that's very fair. Um, I'll be interested to see what Moyes does this weekend. I could see him going with the Suchek-Alvarez double pivot because it's a way to a top six team. Now, David Moyes historically has not done well away to the big six. So my guess is he'll come and with with the idea of let's get a point, but we'll try and sneak all three. So I think they might well go with the same team that played City. Um, Now, in terms of injuries, Alvarez missed last night's game largely just through rest because... Moyes said he was still getting used to playing the 90 minutes in the Premier League and what it entails. He's been fatigued in a few games late on, and he was at the weekend, but he's fine. He's fit and healthy and all as well. So against Manchester City, they went with, obviously, Ariola has taken over in goal as the, the league goalkeeper, and Fabianski is now the European goalkeeper, so clearly not trying to win the Europa League. Sufal was right back, Zuma and Agard in the middle, and Emerson Palmieri at left back. It's a solid enough defence. I wouldn't be a big fan of Emerson Palmieri. Uh, Sufal seems to have found his form again after a very poor season last year. But I do like that centre-back pairing. I think they work very well together. And I think that the triangle of Ariola, Zuma and Agard is something that does work. And they all speak French which I do think is helping the communication. Yeah, no no doubt that that certainly would play a part. And I think, again, Zoom are a really good partnership, to be honest. I think they match each other well. I think they cover for each other well. There's obviously a growing understanding then now that they've been able to put a bit of a run together as well. Um, yeah, I, I think individually they're both decent defenders, but to, together... They do everything that West Ham need in the way that they defend. They're pretty good at defending the deep line. Again, I don't think he's quite been as good uh, aerially as as sometimes he has been previously, but still between the two of them, they're really good. Zuma has a a very, very good spring. I think Aguerd is really good at reading the game. Recovery runs are usually pretty decent. Um, I'm more or less the same review as I don't really like Emerson, but I do think he offers balance to this team because Soufal obviously can be a bit more reserved at times and then just suddenly bomb forward when he sees a bit of space and is you know a, a galloping horse which is very difficult to tame but Emerson is more like more happy to receive the ball to feet and run with it or run into space ahead of play or you know he's just a, a more forward thinking player and I think that that's okay to have a bit of a balance um overall 
I think West Ham's defence is better this year than last year by personnel, but also by cohesion. Yeah, so Emerson is obviously the second change in that defence from last year. He's taken the shirt from Aaron Cresswell, who at this point in his career is just, you know, well on the slide. Emerson Palmieri, interestingly enough, might well have been a Liverpool player. When he was at Roma, we scouted him quite heavily. And then he tore his ACL and we ended up buying Andy Robertson instead. So fair to say that one worked out well for us, but maybe altered what his career would have been. Um, In front of them, then obviously they sat Suchek and Alvarez. But as you said, it, out of possession, it became a, a 4-1-4-1 rather than a 4-2-3-1. And Alvarez sat in front of the centre-backs with Suchek and Ward-Prowse as a double pivot. Bowen played right side, Paqueta played left side. I assume that's what they'll go with as well. Paqueta had freedom to roam from that left wing, but when they lost the ball, he was tucking back in in front of Emerson Palmieri and giving him that protection. And he has the work rate and the aptitude to do that. And it's it's one of the things I really like about Lucas Paqueta is how diligent he is off the ball and how willing he is to sacrifice his legs off the ball for the good of the team. And obviously in the summer, he came very close to joining Manchester City. And that may be, well be something that gets revisited, but there is some sort of gambling probe into him. And we'll see what happens with that. As of now, there's been no further reporting on it. Uh, maybe, maybe nothing comes of it, but you know, we've seen how some of these deals, how some of these uh, situations have worked out. Um, Bowen is is obviously the biggest goal threat in the team. And he started this season quite well. He had a disappointing Premier League campaign last year. Um, having had a really good campaign the year before, he dropped off last year. And I think the hope will be that he can get back to his very best this year. Um, he's caused us problems in the past for sure. Yeah, and I mean, it's the same sort of traits, let's say, that always causes Liverpool problems, isn't it? It's the runs from the second line, the diagonal runs, balls in behind the fullbacks who are pushed up really high. That's all the things that Bowen does, basically. Um, so not really a surprise we've struggled with him. Plus, obviously, he has talent. He's, he's a decent enough player. Um, I think we could probably run through most of the West Ham team and say they didn't have a good year last year in the Premier League. You know, we've mentioned... Bowen there and we obviously the goalkeeping situation was a bit different but probably even a few of their regular starters like Soufal wasn't very good last year um, people like Maxwell Cornet never really got into the team last year Danny Ings went there and didn't really perform well last year so mm. it, it was just an ongoing theme of West Ham uh, as, as a whole to be perfectly fair and like you said starting this season so well confidence is obviously going to be higher um, belief, self-belief is going to be much, much higher at the minute. There, who, who did they lose to? Oh, Man City, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. take Man City out of the equation that basically everybody loses to. They can effectively feel themselves unbeaten for the season so far, basically. Mm. Um, which is always a difficult thing when you play one of the second tier teams, let's say, if you take whatever you think the Premier League is on any given season, a top four, a top six, a big seven, whatever it is that you think it is, the ones who are just outside that always raise their game. 
against yeah. the bigger clubs. That's just yeah. just a fact of Premier League life and football around the world. That's what it is. This is the biggest games for them. They want to really make an impact, show how good they are, and maybe in the cases of some, uh, show that they should be considered for a transfer to these bigger clubs, blah, blah, blah. So it's always really, really tough. Plus then when you add in the fact that they have a fairly settled team at the minute, they have much deeper options off the bench at the minute, they have... I think more of a goal-scoring threat and better build-up play than they did last season. All of these things combine, and it does make them a difficult prospect to to stop in general. And then when you consider who the main threats of that are and what their skill set is, well, Bowen, we've already touched on his movement off the ball, the, the areas that he runs into. James Ward-Prowse, that you've already said, has been in good form this year to start with. Set pieces. I mean, yeah. really, do we think that we're very good at defending set pieces still? We're probably not, if we're being perfectly honest. We've seen so much evidence of it again, especially second balls after set pieces. And his deliveries, wherever we think of him as a player, is one of the best at set piece deliveries into the box. Yeah. They have decent aerial threat as well. Even Mikel Antonio is still a good aerial threat with his movement and, and intelligence and positions to pick up. Um, they're a difficult side to play against. And if they are near their best it will be a really tough game for Liverpool. Probably we will make slightly more changes than they did from midweek action, but there's not going to be huge amounts in it. The one area where I'd think that maybe, you know, without having watched their game, because obviously it was Liverpool played and then I actually watched the Brighton game for, for the late one. The only thing that you would perhaps say is that midfield area. Ward-Prowse played the full game again uh, in midweek. Uh, Lucas Paqueta played almost the full game and just came off for the final minute. So maybe you'd like to think that Liverpool changing all three midfielders might give us a bit of an edge there in terms of energy, which would be nice because the start, the first half of both our last two matches, uh, energetic is probably not top of the list of things you would say was Liverpool's. No, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. We've started very, very sloppily and very slowly. Um, last season in the Premier League, their highest goal scorers were Bowen and Ben Rama, who got six each. And Ben Rama for sure had a couple of penalties in that. Bowen might have had one. Antonio had five. They got three out of Skamaka, though he only started 11 games. They got two out of Ings. They got nothing out of Max, Max Corne. So real struggle last year for goals. Lucas Paqueta chipped in with, with four. This season, Bowen already has three in the Premier League. Antonio has two. Ward-Prowse has two. But Zuma, Agard and Paqueta also scored. So they're spreading the goals around like they did last year, but they're getting better early season production, certainly from Bowen. I think set pieces are one of the big dangers here. You've got Zuma, great spring. Agard just times his jump and his run very well. Suchek is a, a big, awkward person to deal with on set pieces. And like you said, Mikel Antonio as well. And Edson Alvarez, another big body to throw into that as well. So we are going to have to be very diligent at defending the set pieces. And as you said, it's that second ball that's been a killer for us. And if they've got the likes of, let's say, Ben Rama and Piquetta floating on the edge of the box... That's something we're going to have to be very, very aware of. We cannot give those players the type of time and space we gave to the last player whose name, Flecken. No, not Flecken. He's the goalkeeper for Brentford. Something Flecker similar to that. Night. Flecker. Flecker, yeah. Um, we can't give 
Paqueta or Be- or Ben Rama that type of space because they'll punish us in the same way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> I, mean I, I wouldn't expect that they would try the exact same type of corner routine, of course, in the very next game. But second balls is the big thing here, right? It's it's that inability to not just clear the ball first and effectively, but to be organized and make sure that people are marked after the initial movements and so on and so forth. That's, I think, where we've struggled. And even last night, was it? I think it was the really good save Kelleher made with his feet, which was yeah. eventually flagged offside. That came as a result of a corner and not really dealing with it well and people losing the really flow of the being ball. Organized. Yeah, it was it was the second phase of of the set piece basically. So that's an extreme example because it was fairly ridiculous, but it's something that we've done a lot of, and that is definitely something that needs improving. You would hope, of course, that Van Dyke coming back, Premier League, slightly more um shall we say relevant match, not to be you know, Europa Leagueist or anything, but it, the truth of the matter is it didn't really matter last night what happened because there's five more games to go through a group. So in the Premier League, obviously we're, we're on a, a reasonable run in terms of results at the minute. Um, we'll be back at Anfield and you know, people will hopefully be on it a little bit more, as they say. So Van Dijk back in the lineup should make a difference there in terms of organisation. It's not always the case with Virgil, it has to be said. I don't think he's quite as relentless with his, his barking and his orders as he was a few years ago. Um, but in general terms, we, we do look better. So second balls is definitely a thing. In truth, for this kind of game, giving away silly free kicks is probably going to be up there as well, just because of the quality yeah. of the delivery and the uh, the aerial ability that West Ham do possess. It probably doesn't impact on who gets the nod to play in certain positions but it is probably something that they'll be spoken to before the game and then we'll see Jürgen screaming about on the touchline regardless about three minutes in. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, It would be nice to see Virgil getting back to barking at everybody again the way he used to. Um, Seemed to take his foot off the gas in that regard last year and now with the armband, he's gotten a bit better than he was last season but still not to the level he was before that. Uh, Before we get on to Liverpool though, let's just... Uh, run through a potential West Ham 11. I'm guessing Ariola, Sufal, Zuma, Agard, Palmieri, Alvarez and Suchek, Bowen, Ward-Prowse, Piquetta, Antonio. Do you see any change from that? No, I don't think so. That's the team that they used against Man City. It's the team, with one exception, that they used against Brighton, who was Ogbonner in for Agard mm. for that game just because he was unavailable. Um, and it was very, very similar. Again, only one change. Ben Rama played against Luton and Suchek didn't, I think. Um, yeah, it was, that was, that was the one, you know, alteration that we spoke about before that they can be a bit more attack minded. But I think away to Liverpool against Man City, you would expect a very, very similar approach and lineup. So yeah, Ward Prowse normally the 10, but dropping back in for basically a five man midfield, you would imagine. And Antonio trying to lead the line for, probably an hour or so, something like that, and then they might make the changes. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable, 
hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, and then they've got some decent options off the bench. Obviously, Kudus, Max Cornet, who they'll be hoping to get a lot more from this season, uh, Ben Rama, Pablo Fornals, Danny Ings. Like they, they will have options to bring off the bench in an attacking sense. They've got decent enough depth defensively with Tilo Carrera, with Mavroponos, with Ogbonna, who you mentioned, um, and with Cresswell as well. So you know they do have um, a decent amount of depth and some decent quality depth. Moving on to Liverpool then, obviously we have a major doubt over Trent and I'm assuming he won't play. And then Thiago is still a couple of weeks away um, coming back from the hip injury he suffered and he's obviously had a little bit of a setback. So we start the season very well and results-wise, results-wise, performance-wise though, it's a different story. We began away to Chelsea and obviously we had a good start and then faded quite quickly and were comprehensively outplayed in a result that looks worse and worse with each passing week. Then we played Bournemouth and the exact opposite happened. We started dreadfully, could have been two or three nil down and, and without our goalkeeper after 20 minutes, went one down, managed to come back into it and we got the win. Then we went to Newcastle and we started dreadfully and then it got worse. We had Anthony Gordon, the most unlikable player in England, scoring against us. And then three minutes later, Van Dijk got sent off. Now we would come back and win that game through two late Darwin Nunes goals. But I still maintain that was much more a case of Newcastle losing the game than us actually winning the game because... They missed some big chances and they really did let us off the hook and they they dropped off an intensity level that we were struggling to deal with. Then we played Villa and it was by far our best performance of the season. We were dominant. We scored early through Dominic. Matty Cash scored an own goal on 22. Salah scores on 55. We controlled the game. We probably should have scored four or five, but we were really good from start to finish and limited them to just a couple of moments. And when you can limit a good team like Villa to just some moments, that's a really good outcome. Mm. And then we played Wolves, and we got absolutely battered for the first half. They go one up through Wang. They should have gone two up through Cunha. They probably should have gone in at halftime two, maybe even three up, given the level of dominance, given the absolute nightmares that Cunha and Neto in particular were causing us. They were able to break our lines at ease. They were able to just dribble past our players as if they weren't even there. But Jürgen made changes at halftime to the shape and to the personnel. We went more attack-minded, played a Curtis-Dominic double pivot, and we were excellent in the second half. Now, a two-goal win, I think, flattered us over the course of the 90 minutes. But I do think we were good value for the three second half goals. So if we'd won the game 3-2, 
I think that would have been a fairer reflection on what actually took place. But Gakpo, who'd been awful, got himself a goal. Robertson, who'd had a very, very bad first half, had a really good second half. He got the second goal. And then Harvey Elliott got, well, Hugo Bueno got the third as an own goal, but it was Harvey Elliott's shot that took a deflection. Obviously, then last night we started really poorly again. So if you're keeping count, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Wolves and Lask, really, really bad starts. Chelsea and Villa, really good starts. What are we to expect on Sunday, Carl? The team that we've seen four times or the team that we've seen twice? I mean, have you got a coin handy and we flip it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean... On the one hand, you can perhaps point to the Villa one being, you know, one of only two home league matches so far. That's, you know, maybe something to look at. I know Bournemouth was at home and he's categorizing that as the, the poor starts, which is absolutely fair considering we probably should have been two nil down by the time we were one nil down after that was only what, two, three minutes into the match, something like that. Yeah. Um, I think, I think. The first game of the season, you're almost right off and that doesn't really count for anything because because it's the first game of the season, but then also because it was Chelsea, a big game, then we don't really know where they were going to be. They didn't really know where they were going to be. I don't know. There's just so much uncertainty over that whole fixture as a, as a, as a singular entity this season. I, I'm almost inclined to write it off because even the amount that we dropped off, we've played better teams better footballing teams, form teams than Chelsea so far since then. And we haven't dropped off as much as we did. That was really, really weird performance from us. I didn't like that in the slightest. So I'm kind of inclined to ignore that one. The Villa one you would like to think is the the one which is replicable on home soil. And we'll play a lot of teams of the level of Aston Villa this season, there or thereabouts. And you probably group West Ham around there, you know, in Europe and sort of, top half of the table, but not really clear where they'll be in the top half of the table, all that sort of stuff. So you would like to think we will produce a similar sort of performance against West Ham than we did against Villa. Um, we're better than them overall. We have better depth than them. We have better individuals in attack than them and so on and so forth. So add in being at home, add in that there's no advantage to either um, through midweek action because we played the same day. We should win. But what performance we're going to get is is the bigger question here because I, I think I said it against maybe the roar after Newcastle or one of the games after that, the, the, the manner of points that we were picking up was not sustainable. Right? We were not doing it in a way where you could say the goals we've scored, we could score again next week. The way, the way that we've claimed the points, we can repeat that for another four matches yet. None of those things were the case. We had won by a bit of fortune, a bit of ineptitude, a bit of grit a bit of just just having slightly better individuals or moments or just being clinical whatever it was there was no repeatable formula there from those matches i do think though second half against wolves most of the match against villa not really lask i'm not i'm not going to take anything from lask at all because again it's such to model its 11 changes and all the rest of it um and obviously the second half against bournemouth as well the formula of the way we played was repeatable even with the 10 men uh, against Bournemouth, the way that we played, the way that we set up, the way people were positioned off the ball, it was repeatable. And the way we worked openings was repeatable. So 
the more that you see these things, the, the closer I think we're getting to where we want to be. There's still a wild imbalance between on and off the ball in terms of how good we are. And that so badly needs to be addressed in the next few matches. But we are where we are in the season and we kind of just have to run with that right now. So I think that we will see a good overall performance, but I find it a bit difficult at the minute to, to, to predict or to say with any real certainty or reason behind it that we'll start well. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that we will. I hope we will, but there's no reason to think immediately that we will. But even if we don't, I do have the conviction at the moment that there's enough built-in memory of how to play at the minute in this team that we'll at least put one half of football together. So if West Ham don't score three times in the first half, I still think we'd come out on top here. But a 90-minute performance, I don't really see as being in reach just yet. No, I agree. I agree. I think even against Bournemouth, you could probably argue that we were good for for 60 of the 90. And now they're probably a level below West Ham overall. I think, you know, West Ham obviously with a bit more pedigree to them, a bit more experience to them. But if we could replicate that, I'd, I'd be very confident that we come out with the win here. So in terms of the Liverpool team, certain positions obviously pick themselves. Alisson will be in goal. Robertson will be left back. My assumption is it'll be Ibu and Virgil at centre-back. Dominic and Alexis will be two of the midfield three. And Mo will be one of the front three. Now, the only reason that right back is a question is because obviously Trent is is dealing with this hamstring injury. We saw Stefan Besetich play there last night. He did okay. He wasn't great. He wasn't bad. It was clearly his first outing in that role. I would have said he was probably six out of 10 overall, but he performed the function of the role quite well. And he had a couple of nice moments, but my guess is that Joe Gomez comes in. And I thought Joe, after a rotten first half against Wolves, turned things around and was very good in the second half against Wolves. Really got a handle on Neto, stopped them being able to get the ball to him. Didn't have to worry about dealing with him 1v1 because he just cut out the supply line by getting really close to him. So if it's Joe, Ibu, Virgil and Robbo, that does give us a solid foundation in front of Allison. I assume Curtis is the third midfielder. Would you Would you agree with that? I would. I, I don't really think that there's too much scope to change the midfield at the minute. Um, obviously, with Thiago still out, we have probably five people to pick from. And at the minute, Endo isn't looking anywhere near starting Level. ready for, for the Premier League for sure. Um, and then Gravenberch, obviously, we know he's not played too much beforehand. But when you play the best part of what 75 minutes or so during the mm. week, you're probably not going to be starting at the weekend again. I think he did pretty well overall. We spoke about that on Raw, but I don't think that it's enough of a performance to say, oh, he has to start. And also from a physical point of view, I don't think he'd be capable of starting. So he's probably one to still use off the bench just at the moment in the league. So that yeah, does mean yeah. Jones comes back in. Um, I assume we I just mean, bring Gravenberch along slowly. You know, he gets... 74 minutes last night. Maybe he gets the same against Leicester in the League Cup in midweek and then the following week against um, whoever it is in the Europa League. Yeah, I mean, myself and Guy spoke about this. I can't remember who it was about. Was it maybe 
it might actually have been about Gravenberch or it might have been about Endo or someone like that, someone who's not in the team at the minute. Basically, this next run of like three midweeks is going to be quite important for them before the international break because they're going to be able to get themselves quite a chunk of match time and obviously getting used to the tactics and all that kind of stuff of it. I think Stefan Bazetic, if we're sort of highlighting him as a, a potential right-back alternative, goes into the same category. One game you can't really take too much from, especially when it's the first one in the position and quite an altered tactical role and all the rest of it. But then when you go and give him another game against Leicester in midweek and ask him to do the same thing against players who are perhaps probably just about Premier League level quality, but obviously not in the Premier League at the minute, that's a good opportunity to show where he is. And then again against uh, Union, we play after the Spurs match the following week, midweek, and that's at Anfield again. So you've got three, you know, weekly appearances there. That's not leaving out the side, and it's not coming back in three weeks between games or anything like that. If you get three matches under your belt in in you know weekly succession, you should be approaching a pretty good shape and a pretty good moment in terms of you know your understanding of your role and your 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 touch and your your match fitness and all that sort of stuff. Not perfect, but decent enough like you should be able to by that point show what you're capable of or what we might get from you if we put you in for a league game so those players really do need to be performing well by those points i think and i think you know at the minute it's absolutely right you said gomez at right back i think he's done relatively well considering he's been chopped from center back to right back to central midfield in the first half against Wolves at times, you know, simplify the game for some of the players who are doing a slightly different job. And I think we get a lot out of them. I really do. Um, so I think it's a pretty easy decision in the end to go back to the Solos like McAllister Jones midfield. And I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Can I can I throw something at you here, though? Go on. That is the midfield three I want to see, but I don't like Alexis as the six. Oh, no, nor do I. I would play Curtis as the six of these three. Against West Ham? Against West Ham. Because he's the because of the physicality of it. Like Curtis is six one, he's a decent build, he's mobile, he's got a decent bit of burst about him. He's been in this system, well, in our system for years now. And he's learned the defensive side of things quite well. And I do think that him as the six, and I know he's played really well as the eight, and I'm not, not trying to take that away from him, 
I just think we might get more. We get a lot more from Alexis playing him as an eight. And I think Alexis is a better eight than Curtis. And I think Curtis would give us more as a six than Alexis does. Possibly. I mean, I thought he was really good in that double pivot with Dominic. And most of his work in that was as the more defensive one, because Dominic was kind of roaming and being kind of a, a floating ball winner, but also getting forward. Curtis kind of sat in. And, and gave us a bit of structure in the team. Yeah, I wouldn't be against it. I think he's he's mature enough now, and I think he's very diligent about his off-the-ball work. Um, you know, even when we're in possession, but where he positions himself is nothing to do with the type of player, but it, it does remind me of what Wijnaldum used to do in terms of his positions, in terms of where he makes sure everybody else is mm. um, first before he makes any kind of forward run, that kind of thing. Um, so, yes, I think, I think Jones will be able to do it. I do think that maybe against West Ham specifically, it would depend on, you know, if you're going to name the three of them anyway, it doesn't really matter. So then you decide once you see West Ham's lineup, whether to do it or not. If it's Ward Prowse, who looks like he's normally going to be their 10. Sure, I wouldn't have any worries about it. Curtis is quicker than Ward Prowse. He's stronger than Ward Prowse. He's better technically than Ward Prowse. You know, Ward Prowse is obviously older and more experienced and maybe has better movement off the ball, blah, blah, blah. But Generally speaking, in a 1v1 battle, I'd back Jones to win that most of the time. Yeah. If it's Lucas Paqueta, I probably wouldn't. Just because he's a much cleverer player. He's a much more, I don't know, the positions that he takes up is a lot more instinctive. I would probably leave McAllister to do that just because while defensive positioning is not necessarily McAllister's thing, I do think that he just, you know, from a from a footballing intelligence level, from a slightly older uh, match experience perspective, I would probably leave him there against against Paqueta. Neither of them are ideal in that role. That's, no, that's fair. That's fair to say. So Liverpool do not possess the ideal player in their squad this year. No, no, he's he's sad at Crystal Palace. Um, in attack, then it'll be Mo on the right. Everybody knows that. There's big question marks then over who plays to the middle and who plays off the left. So we've seen. Gakpo have a really poor start to the season. He hasn't played well in any game yet, but he did get his goal against Wolves and hopefully that will boost his confidence. But Darwin has started the season well and Darwin looks like he's developing chemistry with Mo. He looks like he's getting a better handle on the pressing side of things. He's contributing to winning scored last night from the penalty spot also got an assist for Salah's goal I'd like to see Darwin start and I'd like to see Diaz start left wing because I don't like Diogo Jota on the left wing at all and I think I think that we say all the time, look, we the only right winger we have is Mo. The only left winger we actually have is Diaz as well. I know Darwin, Jota and Gakbo can all play there. And Gakbo was predominantly a left-sided player with PSV. But in our system, in the Premier League, Gakbo doesn't suit playing wide because he doesn't have the speed. And Jota doesn't have the technical ability to play wide. Darwin just does a job there. It's not pretty, but he does a job there. He's the most effective of the three of them. So 
I want to see Darwin start either through the middle or if Diaz isn't ready to go on the left. Now, I think Diaz will be fine. So I think Diaz is a must, really, because, again, he's the only natural fit on the left. And then it's Gakbo, Jota, or Darwin through the middle. And I'd rather start Darwin, but given he played from start to finish last night, and as you pointed out on Rawls, the first time since February that he's done that, I'm guessing it's going to be Cody. Yeah, I, I think the same. I think it'll end up being Cody, but I really hope it's not because Darwin played really well. He just did. You know, he, even in the parts of the game where we weren't looking anything like a football team, he still made the movements. He still won back a few balls. He still had, I think, three shots in the first half where considering we created nothing, that's not bad. Like he's done most of that himself. And it wasn't like effective and it wasn't particularly helpful in terms of our overall performance, but at least he was doing stuff. He was doing what he could. Um, I would prefer he starts by quite a distance, to be perfectly honest. I don't think the other two are anywhere near the level that they need to be to be starting week in, week out at the minute. Um, you know, both of them have scored once this season. Fine, they're going to need to chip in along the way, even if they're not playing well. But the only player with more goals and assists together than Darwin this season is Salah. Yeah. So I, I just don't really see from a effectiveness point of view, from a deserving point of view, form point of view, nothing at all says to me Darwin shouldn't start this game. And in terms of minutes played, he's he's way behind Salah and Diaz. Like he's yeah, played 230 yeah. minutes um, across the board this season. Now I know he, you know, flew away for for Uruguay, but that's like a week gone now. We don't need to worry about that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been starting against Lask if it was still an issue. So that's not a thing. Midweek, if he starts this game, he's got a week to recover because then we wouldn't start him against Leicester. And yeah. Jota and Gakpo can start that match and try and get themselves back to whatever form level they're, they're trying to get to. I, I just don't really see any argument against Darwin starting this game just because he played 90 minutes. As as long as there's no you know, muscle injury or muscle fatigue or anything like that in training, which obviously we cannot know anything about up until they tell us, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be Salah Diaz and Nunez starting up front. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, if you look at, at Darwin this season, obviously he comes off the bench against Chelsea. It's all a bit of a mess. Nothing really works. Comes off the bench against Bournemouth. Was it... Wasn't he on the bench? I think he was on the bench against Bournemouth and doesn't really impact a whole lot when he comes on. But comes off the bench against the Toon and gets two great goals. Then he starts against Villa and he was outstanding. Wins us the corner for the first goal. It's his shot that hits the post and then hits Matty Cash for the second goal. And then he's involved in the third goal as well. So he has that big involvement, even without scoring, He's involved in all three goals. Hit the post twice as well. Yeah, he hit because he, hit the, he hit, the, hit the crossbar as well with the the little lifted shot. Now he might have been off. Well, Salah might have been offside in the build up, but he, he did hit the he did he did have that little bit of bad fortune. Then he goes to South America, like you said, and he came back with a little bit of a knock. I think which is the the biggest reason he didn't start against uh, Wolves. But then he starts last night, and again, it's a goal and an assist. So, like, he does just impact winning. And at the moment, Cody is not making that kind of impact. Again, I know he got the goal against Wolves, but he was horrendous in that first half. There's a reason that you get subbed off 20 seconds after scoring, and it's nothing to do with the goal itself. Exactly. Exactly. Normally, if a fella's about to get subbed off and he scores, he gets left on. But Cody had been that poor that he had to come off. 
Now, I will say that he also started the season playing as an eight, and it was which horrible. wasn't fair to him. No, I, I yeah. totally agree. He hasn't been put in a position to succeed this year. Did Jota start as the nine against Bournemouth? Is that what I'm? I need to look that up. Um, but Darwin, the point is, Darwin has made much bigger impact this season than Cody Gakpo has. Yeah, Jota started as the nine against Bournemouth. Diaz left, Salah right, and Cody and Dominic were the eights. And and everybody was sort of looking at it and thinking, well, that's two games now where Darwin hasn't started. Jota's been the nine, hasn't played well. Surely he'll start against Newcastle, but then Gakpo was the nine until the red card, and then everything got, got kind of turfed around. When Darwin has come into the team, he, he's made a big impact, made the huge impact against Newcastle, massive impact against Villa, big impact la- last night. Unless, like you said, unless there's some sort of fatigue, there's no real argument for starting either of the other two over him. And there's no argument at all to be made for starting the two of them over Diaz. So I'm with you. I think it should be Salah, Darwin and Diaz as the front three. Dominic, Alexis and Curtis in whatever iteration in midfield. And Gomez comes in at right back. And I think it's... I think it's actually in the end fairly straightforward for Jurgen, unless he just gets too clever. I mean, at this stage, I don't think there's any need to. We've we've had enforced rotation over the last few games since the international break because of you know flights and because of a midweek game where you change people naturally. So I think last night was a much more mix of first team and not first team than I was expecting to be honest. So I don't see the need to change eleven again. You're probably going to do that in midweek for Leicester. This should be about getting back as close to the strongest team as you can. And if you do happen to get one or two wrong, if Diaz or Darwin or whoever it is doesn't have a good game, well, then the other ones come on. That's where Graven Birch is supposed to be. That's where Gakpo is supposed to come and have an impact and win himself a spot back. Not playing because he didn't play last time and therefore will be a bit fresher, but hasn't been playing well. Yeah, I fully agree. Fully agree. So, uh, what type of prediction are you going to give us for this one? Uh, 4-2 to West Ham. (laughs) Uh, No, I I, I don't think that we'll be keeping a clean sheet here. I think West Ham have too much. We've only kept um, one so far this season, so there's no point in in getting into a habit of keeping them. No, 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 absolutely not. Um, No, I think West Ham's biggest strengths, um, unfortunately, do marry up a little bit to some of our weaknesses. So, I would see them creating quite a few chances. Um, I mean, a third comeback 3-1 in a row seems a little bit ridiculous. So I'll go go 3-1, I think, for again, for the score. But we we score score, first. Yeah, we score early. They score and then have a really good first half. And then second half, we have to do the footballs. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I'll go. I think we'll score first and then be dreadful for a long spell. Um, I think they'll equalise, but I'll, I'll I'll go with us to win 2-1. I think Nunes will score. I think the other thing with, with, with Darwin against West Ham in particular is, like, Zuma's really explosive in a straight line, but he turns like an oil, an oil tanker. And Agar can get caught on the turn as well. We saw it against um, against Chelsea. We saw it a little bit against City as well. And Darwin makes those runs 
between the centre backs on the angle over and over and over again. And at some point it's going to click with Dominic and Alexis to play that ball into that channel, just the, the same way we did against Newcastle. That goal, those two goals he got against Newcastle, he makes those runs eight to ten times a game. It's just about our other players having that awareness to play the ball to him and time it right. We saw him make it a bunch of times last night. They just didn't get him the ball. I think he can have real joy against those two centre-backs. Whereas Cody, because Cody doesn't have that explosiveness, he's going to play in front of them. And that's where they really excel. They're delighted if you're playing in front of them. But if you get the ball behind them, and this is why Salah's going to, I think, have some joy against them as well. That's when they struggle. And Emerson Palmieri going forward is is good. Defensively, he's not good at all. And I don't think Sufal will deal all that well with Diaz. I think we can get behind that defence. I think Darwin is vital to that. So I'll go 2-1, but I, I kind of feel like 3-1 is, is more likely. How many Darwin goals you backing? I think you'll get one. I think you'll get one. I think Salah will get one. So I'm going to go Darwin and Salah to score. All right, I'm going to go for the same two, but... No, I'll go for the full front three. Go on, Diaz as well. We're picking them to start. We, we'll say that we've picked absolutely perfectly. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, Diaz has started the season in, in, in good goal-scoring form. He already has three. Yeah, he's getting plenty of shots away as Diaz. Yeah. And, and there, there are similar enough goals in that he's, he's breaking from that wide left spot into central areas and getting on the end of crosses and cutbacks and whatever. So he, he's, his movement is definitely working really well. And I just, I feel like Diaz plays better when Darwin is the nine as well. Cause I think he likes having that, that movement from Darwin rather than Cody dropping off. Cause Diaz plays obviously left wing a lot differently than Mane does. Cody is trying to do the Bobby thing, but Diaz and Bobby didn't work all that well. Diaz and Mane worked well, but Mane was playing the nine more similar to how Darwin plays it, moving in behind. And that's when, obviously, Diaz came in at first and was really good. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully Jürgen goes with the same front, with with, with, with that front three. Um, and, and we should win the game. Like, West Ham are a good team. They deserve respect, but we're a better team. And as long as we don't shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, more than once, I, I think we should be okay and we should get the three points and, and carry on this good start to the season, uh, results-wise, obviously. That'll get us to 16 points after six games. It does get a little bit tougher then. We go away to Tottenham, away to Brighton, but then it's home Everton, home Forest, and away Luton, which should be three straight wins. So before we go, last question, Carl. Tottenham away... Brighton away, Everton home, Forest home, Luton away. How many points do we take from those five games? All right, give them again. Spurs away, Brighton away, Everton home, Forest home, Luton away. 13. 13. I I said 11 when somebody asked me on Twitter the other day. I said draw away to Spurs and Brighton and win the other three, but... Uh, that's just out of respect for how well those two teams have started the season as well. I do think we're a better team than either of them, but Brighton just, 
they play such good football and we don't we don't do the things West Ham do, the things that Everton did last year that can open them up. Now we could do them, but it's not just not how we play. And I, I just think Spurs are in a in a good moment right now and they're they're finding ways to win games. They're playing similarly enough to us in that they're not always brilliant for the ninety minutes, but they're good enough in spells. Yeah. On the positive to get results. I think that we'll draw at Spurs. I think that you're exactly right that they're gonna be you know, massively up for that game. It's gonna be a big marker, I think, of where they are at the moment. Uh, I know they got the North London derby this weekend, but one, it's a derby, and two, Arsenal obviously were significantly better than um, most other clubs in the league last season. So it's less of a barometer of the league and more just about that that game, that afternoon sort of thing when it's the derby. I think when they play Liverpool, right at the end of September, it's basically two months into the season, then it's a marker, I think, of where Spurs are and also where Liverpool are from our perspective, obviously, in terms of, you know better footballing sides and all the rest of it. So I think that that one will be a quite a difficult game for us. The Brighton one, I've actually picked us to win on the back of two things. One, um, if, if it becomes a football fest, I think ultimately we will win out. And secondly, because it comes on the back of another Europa League uh, midweek and obviously Brighton last night played much closer to a first team. They actually lost at home, which in terms of the group is going to put a bit more pressure on them doing well and playing stronger teams um, for the next few matches. So I'm going on the assumption that they do go strong that midweek. They'll have to pretty much play the similar sort of lineup than they will do against Liverpool at the weekend. And on the assumption that we do rotate a bit more against Union, then I think we'll be able to beat them on their turf. Yeah, I'm just looking at the Brighton team that played last night. It's really only... I suppose Dunk would come in at centre-back, Veltman in at right-back for Milner, and Evan Ferguson, obviously. Now, there's obviously the goalkeeper for Bruggen is the better goalkeeper. Igor was bought to be a starter, so I assume he's he's going to be a starter longer term. It's only really four players that they were missing from their best eleven. I suppose Billy Gilmore, Mo Dehoud is. I'd, I'd rather have Mo Dehoud, but Gilmore's a good player. But that front front four they played last night is not to be sniffed at. March, Fati, Mitoma, and Jeb Pedro. Um, they'll be hugely disappointed with that result last night. What was the performance like? Uh, uneven, to be honest. I think it was not really the Brighton you'd expect. There wasn't as many, you know, quick flowing combinations. There wasn't as much. Um, ball retention in in dangerous or decent areas. I don't think they got the right runners into the box a lot of times, but mostly the problem was defensive errors. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of hesitation. I think, I don't know whether it was nerves for some of the players. I don't know whether it's just the occasion or whether just, I don't know, maybe they sort of assumed they'd be a bit better than they were. I don't, I don't really have the answer as to why, but there were a lot of defensive errors. Maybe, you know, Igor coming in, um, Milner at right back, it's a, a different lineup in defence to they would normally have had. That does make a big difference. We know that as well as anybody. Um, so yeah, they, they, they just, they weren't very strong in the challenge. They were trying to football their way out of challenges at times and it didn't really work. Athens were obviously extremely clinical, but they were very forceful. The marking was really poor in the box for the first goal, even though it was an absolutely unbelievable header. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It was Gibral Sidibe and he was absolutely shot out of a cannon and headed it into the top corner from about 15 yards out. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, 
not not the great performance that you would expect from Brighton. It was a really good atmosphere, lots of support from the stands, a couple of goals obviously from the penalty spots. So that sort of tells its own story. They did miss a few chances, but I wouldn't say enormous chances. They mm. they were second best overall on account of the errors, if nothing else. It is a bit mad that Gibral Sidibe is now playing for AK Athens. Matias Almeida, the uh, manager there, by the way, someone you've mentioned in the past. Yes, Matias Almeida. As a prospective manager's coming over this side. Yeah, he's someone I'm a big fan of. I I really like what he did with um, with Banfield. Now, he was in the US for the last number of years with San Jose Earthquakes. Yeah. Um, and I, I was a huge fan as a player. You know me, I love a good defensive midfielder, and he was a, a very good defensive midfielder. A bastard, right. Dave. He was a he bastard. He was an absolute bastard, <laughs> and that's why I loved him. And he had a, just he had a dreadful haircut that was fantastic. And I, <laughs> I think he's kept it for most of his managerial career as well. Uh, right, we will leave it there then, and we will be back next week. We probably won't do a scouted for Leicester because it's the EFL Cup, and it's bad enough that I'm on the Raw. Now, I'm on the Raw by... By choice, I'm not being forced to do it, but, you know, we can only do so much for the EFL Cup. Um, so we'll do... If we do if we do an early hard next week, we'll make it a mix of people we want to see and then some questions and a couple of things we've got to do from Discord. Yeah, well, we've got a couple of big questions in on Discord. Uh, one from Owen Hurt. Did, did we ever pick our 11s of players that have the same name as us? Uh, no, that's a new one we've got to do. Yeah, so Owen Hurley has that one. Um, right, we do have one question here that we missed, and I'm going to ask you because it's only a quick one. Uh, Pime Taradox asks, do you think Kubo would be a reasonable option after Mo leaves? Now, could be next summer, could be the following summer. Is Kubo someone that would be on your list? Uh, oh, yeah, he'd be on the list for sure, but I do think it would be a case of him being on the list for... Um, shall we say, the creative side of Mo rather than the goal-scoring side. I mean, Kubo is now being a lot more forceful for... for he's at Real Sociedad, if anyone's not been watching, obviously. Um, moved from Real Madrid to, to Real Sociedad on loan, did really well, signed for them. Um, he's much more involved now in final third in terms of you know getting into the shooting areas and that sort of thing. But he's, I wouldn't say he was still anywhere near as much of a shot monster as, as Sal has been for, for a large part of his Liverpool career. Now we're seeing Salah be much more involved in the creativity side of things. He's not Liverpool's top shots taker anymore, which is a massive change, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I think Kubo from from that side as someone who can do both sorts of roles, you know, the creative, the shooting, the getting into really awkward positions, really good work rate, obviously from his time as a midfielder as well, definitely would be one to at least consider. I think there's still quite a few aspects of his game that need improving to get anywhere near, not not Salah's level, but, you know, the very good level of players below Salah. Um, but definitely one to consider, keep an eye on. I'm just looking at Kubo's uh, career to date. He played for five youth teams, came through to senior level with FC Tokyo, had a loan from there, joined Real Madrid, had four loans from there, before joining Real Sociedad. Um, that's 12 clubs he's played for. He's 22 years of age. Someone needs to buy that fella a house and tell him, 
to stay there for a couple of years. That would be my only concern with him is I'd, I'd really like to see him. Now, this is obviously his second year with uh, with Real Sociedad, but I'd really like to see him get some continuity in his life. I think that would help him develop as a player. I think he's had a really good start this year, and I think part of that is because it's surroundings that he knows. But yeah, he, he'd be on the list. How high he'd be, I'm not really sure. You know, would he be top five on my list? Maybe not. But he's certainly it depends, someone. It, it, it does. It depends which, on what he does yeah. this year. It does. And also on what level you realistically think. Like if, if Liverpool go back to challenging immediately, Salah leaves at the end of the season and Arsenal drop out of the top four, Saka's your list and that's it. There is yeah. no other list. So. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair, that is that is very true. Um, maybe Bikayo Saka just comes to the realisation that Mikel Arteta is actually just a Lego character and not a good manager and just decides he wants to come and play for Jürgen, uh, in which case that's how it should be. Uh, we will leave it there then. What do you have writing-wise that people should keep an eye out for? Yeah, I've just had a piece go out midweek on the European Conference League and the Premier League clubs who should be doing fairly well in it. Um, might need an edit now after I said... Uh, or I talked about Brighton, then they lost to AK Athens, but we'll just skip over that quickly. Um, I'll have a piece on the North London Derby at some point, whether it's before or after the match, and probably I'll write something on Liverpool, assuming we stroll to a comfortable 17-0 victory. So there will be post-match raw after this Europa League game. It will be Guy Drinkle in the whole seat. Uh, Brother Downey is at the game. Uh, I am unavailable, so it will be Carl joined by Jim Boardman. Uh, so should be a good one. Make sure you k- get your ears around that on Sunday. And then we'll be back next week with, with a bit more. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.